0: Your body is a temple, and the spirit of God indwells in this body. That means you are not alone. Or you might think you are alone, but inside of you, the Holy Spirit dwells. That means your body is a vessel by which the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He doesn't flit off, go into heaven, and come back. Into, he actually is with you. The complications of that are very serious. You know, whatever you do while you are in the body, He is doing it with you. Which is kind of scary when you think about the bad stuff that you do. You actually put in Jesus through the bad stuff. He's not far away from you. He's right there watching you. He's actually in you, and you. He's going through that emotion with you when you are doing the bad stuff. So it, whatever it is that you get caught on, and whatever it is that you get trapped in, whatever it is that you slip into, and you slipping into it, if you've been bought with a price, and Jesus now inhabits your body, you make Him go through that with you. We kind of like to think that Jesus would be somewhere else at the time of which we're doing that. We'd like to think that uh, it's not nice to think that God in his fullness would be dwelling within us at that time when we are doing the thing that we know we shouldn't be doing. But what we're told here is, do you not know that your bodies are the temple? And expect, he says, when you're up at the brothel, the temple with the brothel, the prostitutes up there and you're doing your thing up there. He says, the Holy Spirit is inside of you at that moment doing that too. You've been bought with a price. And then he says, You are not your own. Everybody say that. I am not my own. <laughs> it just reminds me of a song I hear in the gym. You don't own me. Da, 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 da. You heard that song lately? You don't own me, and it's a girl singing it to a man. You don't own me, don't tell me what to do, and don't tell me what to say. You know, I'm my own person and don't you tell me. And I think about that. I think that's exactly what he's saying here. Jesus is saying to you, you don't own you. I own you. And if you were to sing that song, you'd sing to Jesus. You don't own me. I'll do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to say. Don't tell me what to do, do. But you can't do that because you don't belong to you. You belong to him and he owns you. So you have to sing it this way. I'll do what you want me to do, I'll say what you want me to say, I'll go where you want me to go, because you own me, because you own me. You know that song, don't you? You do, I know you do. It's a, it's a remake of a song that was around in the 60s or something, or the 70s or something like that. It's an old, old song, but it came back. I have no idea, I'm not interested either. <laughs> the devil, but I, the one thing that you can do... The one thing that you can do when you get a song like that stuck in your head, folks, this is what you do. You sing it and turn it around. You can't stop some of those things. How many of you get songs stuck in your head? So you can't stop them from sticking in your head because that's the way they are. That's the way the devil creates them. He creates them so they stick in your head and so you start finding, oh, don't tell me what to do, and don't tell me what to say. And it's stuck in your head because you heard it when you were pressing some weights, you know. Oh, it goes round and round and round and round in your head. And I think, oh, and then I say, devil, you can't tell me what to do. You can't. T-. And I think, ah, I got that one on you now. And that makes a whole difference for me. Because I used the devil's stick back at the devil. <coughs> Excuse me. So what we have here is the scripture actually saying, you are not your own. He says, you have been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So there was a transaction that took place. You were hellbound and the devil owned you. If you look to Varnish, because you, 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 you never own yourself, you either rule with somebody. Either the devil's controlling you and he rules you, or God controls you and he rules you. you. There is no middle ground here that says, you know, I belong to me. I'm not the devil's and I'm not God's. If you are not God's, you are the devil's. That's it, full stop. There's only two owners in this world. The devil and god that's the only way there is and so if you're not saying god's not my, my, my owner, well the devil must be your owner because you can't be your own owner he says and you are bought with a price so the devil owns you and he's taking you to hell because that's what his plan is and jesus comes down and he transacts the price he says what's what's it going to cost to get alistair out of this bind you know, well, God says, you know, it's a, it's a terrible cost because he deserves to go where he's going. He's committed sins that the, the end of the exercise of those sins is death. And he must pay for those sins. What's the price, says Jesus? Death is the only price that can be paid for his sins. He must die for his sins. Jesus, the righteous one, son, Stands there and says, I will pay the price. I don't have to pay any price because I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have to die, but I will die in his stead. Is that enough? And God the Father says, that's enough. That's enough. Just as long as someone dies. Because death is the consequence of sin. So he paid the price. I'm glad he rose again. Death couldn't hold him. But there was a price paid, and Jesus paid it. And those who are born of the Spirit of God, those who have the Holy Spirit living within them, have been purchased by the price of his death. And that's it. It says in Acts chapter 20, and it says to the ministers, he says, it says in Acts twenty twenty-eight, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's looking at me and telling me, I've got to look after you guys. I've got to be careful about you. Be shepherds of the church of God. And then he says, which he bought with his own blood. So what he's saying there, those who sit in this congregation don't belong to me. I have to be careful on how I look after you because you were purchased with his blood and you're put here and and he's telling me now, be careful about my people. I purchased them. They're my people. They belong to me. So I don't even own you. I can't tell you what to do and I can't tell you what to say. I can't control your life and dictate your life because, I mean, that would be me controlling you. No, in the end of the exercise, it is God who controls you and God who dictates to you. But if you're not listening to God well, if you're not hearing God well, you're going to have a problem in your life. It's about listening to the Spirit of God. It's about walking with the Spirit of God. In Romans chapter 14, and we have this, (coughs) excuse me, this whole passage of Scripture, it talks about people who have strong beliefs who differ from each other. And it can cause problems in the church. You know, I believe in this. No, I don't believe in that. I believe in this. I've got the Scriptures. I have Scriptures too. You can both stand there and both talk Scriptures to each other. I don't believe in eating meat. I believe in eating meat. I don't believe in eating vegetables. I I don't drink. You don't drink. I I do drink. And, And on it goes and on it goes. And then he says this, you then should not judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. So he says, so then each of you will give an account of ourselves before God. He says, you don't need to judge your brother or sister about what they believe. To God he stands. Why? Because he belongs to God. I can't change your way of thinking. I I can talk about what I say and what I think, but I can't change your way of thinking. You do that yourself. If you listen to me and agree with what I'm saying and say, yeah, well, you've got a point there, Mark, and I think i changed my way of thinking about that. That's more, you know, what I think now. That's what you do, but I can't do that for you. And in the end, if you don't change your way of thinking, I can't judge you because I don't own you. You belong to somebody else. And then he says, We all have to give an account before God. So that when we stand before God, Winston isn't going to be standing there because of me. He's going to stand to give an account for himself. And when I stand there, I have to give an account of my life before God. That's just the way it goes. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of of him to whom we must give an account. So I just want that to soak in a little bit. There's an account book that's in heaven. And the account book is opened with your name on it. And in that book, every thought and every action is written down. Before God. We know the psalmist says in Psalm 19, he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. So the words and even the meditations are written down in the book for you to give an account before God. That's kind of really scary. It's scary for a number of reasons, because we forget that so often. And we do stuff that is so not Christian so often and we think stuff which we are not really happy to be thinking about and we thought that if Mark saw that or if my wife saw that or if my husband saw that or if my children saw that or if someone I respected saw that that wouldn't be very good and so off we go and we think oh boy I'm glad no one see well listen God sees that and he says you will give an account everything that is hidden will be brought to the surface on that day <laughs> God. how scary is that how seriously scary is that well i know i know that it's kind of scary and I, I know that at the great white throne we're going to say yeah my sins are, are taken from the east is from the west and they're forgotten and they're not remembered anymore and that's the truth and everybody said thank you jesus But still he's writing things down on our lives and still even though our sins won't be remembered against us as we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. still he's writing down an account for our lives. Is your life counting for God? Is it wood, hay or stubble or is it gold or precious stones or silver? He's writing an account down. It's all going down. Everything is going down in 1st Peter chapter 4 verse 5 he says but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead see this is it's right through the bible you can see it everywhere and in Matthew chapter 12 verse 33 he starts talking about some specific things that you're going to have he talks here about the word out of your mouth make a tree good and its fruit good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit, you brood of vipers. He's talking to the, ph- uh, the Pharisees there. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For, out, for the mouth speaks what it, the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of, out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the good stored up in him. And then he says, but I tell you that everyone will give an account on that day of judgment for every, listen to it, empty word that I have spoken. Well, that's big. What is an empty word? Can you tell me what an empty word is? Empty word. A word that hasn't got any value or any depth in it. A word that is meaningless or easily shot off. It could be a broken word, it could be a harsh word, it could be a nasty word, it could be an unkind word, it's an empty word. It could be a word that has no relevance to anything, just empty words, talking, conversations that are going nowhere, all about nothing and in no- nowhere. Em- empty words. Well, they could be sins, words can be sins. Well, they could just be sins of commission or sins of omission. You just fail to talk about what you should be talking about at a time when you should be talking about it. You just don't talk about it. Words without love. If I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am empty. I am, so, I am just like if I, just making a noise. Loveless words. Empty words. Words that are just casual words. Words that don't mean anything at all, have no basis or bearing in our lives. And we're told every empty word that we speak is going to be brought to we're going to be brought to account and that would make me think that every word that I speak must have some weight in it well that I have to slow down the way I think wouldn't it because if I think very rapidly and speak very fast then I might say things that I shouldn't say just imagine if I really believed that every single word that came out of my mouth, God was going to bring me to account for, how careful I would be with the words that came out of my mouth. When I got up in the morning and I, and I was dressed in the stress in the house and I'm walking out there and I'm about to shoot a fast line out there, boom, boom just to make the petrol on the fire type thing, how God would look at me and say, Do I own your lips? Do I own your tongue? Are you going to let me control it? The scripture says in James, he who controls the tongue controls the whole body. Every word. He says, and for by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. That's scary stuff. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm fully scared. (laughs) And you ought to be. (laughs) If the angels and all the elders stand around the throne and their only cry before the throne of God is holy, 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 holy is our God. If his holiness is the only thing that they can utter, it means he's looking and he's looking at the detail because he's holy. He will find all the detail out. Now, that should help us to wake up. That should help us to think about our accountability before God. Mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must have given an account. So why do I preach this message? Because I've got to give an account for you. I've got to stand before God and say... Um, yeah I, yeah, I didn't actually tell him about that because that's kind of a little heart issue. And, you know, if you tell people too many things that are too hard, they get offended and then they don't come to church next week. They go, like, oh, why would I go to church? You know, all you're telling me is how bad I am. Well, I don't want to tell you how bad you are, but I, I do want to warn you that things are not going to be so sweet, you know. When we, when, we, when we sing some songs, it's like we're going to run into heaven and we're running toward Jesus and he's standing with his big arms open wide to us and we're going to fall into his loving embrace and he's going to love us and whisk us around in a couple of circles and throw us up into heaven into a cloud with a harp. And there we will be forever and ever praising the Lord. I want to tell you something. When he comes in his holiness and stands before you, you will die and you will fall on your face and cry out, oh, woe is me, I'm undone. Because everything, every single thing that has been wrong in your life, every single thing that is wrong in your mentality will rush through your head at that point and his holiness will be in comparison to that and his great love will, will tell you like he told Daniel and like he told John, don't be afraid. I love you. And that's the only reason you'll get up off your feet. It's the only reason you'll be able to stand before him because his love will accept you. He'll extend the royal scepter to you and let you stand. But you won't be confident when you get there, when you see his holiness. You'll cry for the ground to open up and to swallow you because you'll know your sin. If Apostle Paul, who is a mighty man of God, comes to the end of his life and says, I am the chief of sinners, what he's saying to you is the closer I get to holy God, the worse I look the worse I look. Now, I don't want to be negative or anything like that, because, but this is a really positive message, I think. Because if we can start to think about how we can move with the Spirit and start to recognize that Jesus is in us and that he's willingly helping us to lead us and guide us and he wants us to keep on step. And he says, look, keep in step with the Spirit. He says, don't think these things, but think these things and you'll keep in step with the Spirit. You know, he has told us so many things about how he wants us to walk because he's got so many things for us to do. You're his possessions that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light wow, you want to do some amazing things. I wish I could keep on remembering that because I could keep on forgetting that and I think I belong to myself and I keep on applying myself overly too much to my studies. So much so that I don't study enough of the Word of God. In fact, I forget to study the Word of God. The most important thing is my math assignment. Well, you've got to have your math. You've got to have your English. Let me... One day there's a day coming when math and English will not count for anything. The most important thing, number one thing, is your, your word, yourself into the word of God and your relationship with Jesus. And then let Jesus, once you've done that and you're satisfied that God is happy with your devotion to him, he'll release you to learn and he will quicken your mind to learn 80% quicker than you learned before. You see, sometimes we get, we, we determine our own lives. We, we say, this is what it's going to be like. This is what I have to do to do. And God says, no, no. I said to you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We say to God, these are more important than, than this, than this, the fellowship, then study your word, then praying, then anything. This is more important because this pays the bill. And God says, you got that wrong as well. I am your owner and I am your provider. I will provide for your needs. I've told you as your owner, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and I will add all the rest to you. You say to yourself, I have to look after my own needs. I'll have to provide for myself in contra- contrast to what I've said to you. So we differ because we do not accept that we have been bought with a price. Turn to your neighbor and says, you don't belong to you, you know. If you could get that and so scold that into your spirit so that it leaves an indelible scar that you are owned by somebody else, then when you woke up in the morning, the first thing you would think was, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is, Lord Jesus, I'm here. I'm alive. It's your day. What would you want me to do on your day? You say, oh, Mark, you're just talking nonsense now. Listen, the scripture says, whatever you find your hand to do, which means in whatever career or whatever place you are, God wants people there. And He wants you in your situation and in your career and in your job to give glory to God, whatever you're doing. You've got no excuse. It's not like, okay, I've got to get my secular job. I don't know. In your secular job, God wants a man and a woman to do that job school you're meant to be there yes because God has put you there he's brought you to that place now be the light in the place God wants you to be a lot of us just forget that we think oh, well, I'll just I'll serve God I'll make money for my family I'll make sure they get to university then I'll focus on what God wants me to do if there's some ministry he wants to let me into And so our family becomes a little thing separate to God. It's like this is what I'm focusing on. Hey, wait a minute. Let me get some priorities right here. Number one priority, what is it? Who's number one? Because he's the owner. What's the second priority? Is it your family? You say, well, my second priority is my family. What is your, what's your second priority? The second priority is others and that is in the family of Christ, which is your family and is everybody else outside of your family as well. It's not only your family, but it's your brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting next to you. It's not just my family, my wife and my kids and my grandkids, and while I'm just going to keep myself in my holy huddle. But he says, extend your family to include the whole family of Christ. So my responsibility before God as an individual is God first, and others, which is my family and everybody else's family, second. And then the world. My obligation to take the gospel to the world. That's the priority, and we we oftentimes separate that. We think our family is separate to the family of God, and we think, okay, hmm, we do our thing. You know, I've heard some people say, "Well, I'm just having a day off today. It's our family day, so we're going to the beach." Friends, I want to ask you the question: Did Jesus tell you to do that? Did you get that from the divine heart of God when He said, "Do not forsake the gathering of yourself together," as some do, or did you decide that for yourself and make that priority one of your calls? You got to check it because there's an account book somewhere, and it's being written down. And God is saying, "You better make clear with me that that's an okay thing for you to do, because I've got an account. And if you think that you're building gold, hey, gold, silver, and stones by doing this, you're in. Large. I've seen people who've done this, and it's close to my home, who have who've said, "This is our family." Church is something else, but our family is something else. Well, we come to church, but our family is our family, and we'll take them and do their family things. Friends, and their children now are not following God. Seriously. And you know what I think it is? Because there's a separation between family and the church of God, a separation that should never be there, because we are all family. And when you remove yourself from this family separate yourself away like that you make a separation as though this family doesn't count but this family does and one day this family may fall apart and there where will you be my friends Jesus said and they come to him and says your mother and your sisters and your brothers are outside biological family is more important than this group of people. And he turned to them and he said, these are my mother, my sister, and my brothers, and he talked to the people he was addressing. He made it very clear that there was no difference between biological and religious connections, that they were all, those who had faith in Jesus, were family. So your first obligation is God. Your second obligation is the family of God, which is your church. I know it sounds a bit rough, but we will have to give an account one day before God. Now, this is the passage of Scripture that Liz was reading from this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful or build with care. Well, no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we, we have the foundation already, but we are all going to build on it. Well, if you don't build on it, you're not saved. Uh, but that's the bottom line, isn't it? If the foundation is there, you immediately you're a rock on the on the on the you're a, you're on the foundation on, on the on the stone. You're going to start to build. Well, look look. Let's go back to the talents. There were There were three guys who got talents. One got 10, one got five, and one got one. You remember that story? Well, the five, he made another five. The three, he made another lot. Or 10 made 10, and five made another five, and it came to the one. I buried it. He made no, he didn't do anything with it. What happened to him? On the day of account, what happened to him? Depart from me, you wicked Servant. So if you're not going to build on the foundation that you've got, you say, I've got this foundation and I'm just going to coast into heaven. I'm not going to get any gold or silver or precious stones. I know, and the wooden hails, but I'll get saved through the fire. And you, you, you decide to be passive. Like, you're not going to do it. You're not called to the ministry. You're not like Mark. You're not going to do crazy things like some of the other people do here. You're just going to be calm and sort of have your, your, your life together. Do you, you do your, you know, your secular life type thing and just be normal person, not an over-the-top Christian. Well, I wanna, I've got news for you folks. You're not saved because you're not on the rock. The reality is that there is no place for you to be inactive. There's no safe place for you to be inactive in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God you've been saved by grace, your work your His workmanship created unto Said good works that He prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So so now wait a minute Are you telling me, Mark, that if I sit and don't do anything about it and just think that I can just coast, come to church on Sunday and just coast and not think about making an application of the Word of God into my life and not think about how I can make an effect in the world today for Jesus and not think about what my life might mean for God if I could just coast through life, that I'm not saved? I'm telling you, you're not saved because you can't sit there once you've been given such a wonderful gift and do nothing about it. The lepers outside the wall went out there and they found that the enemy had gone, if you remember, and they got all the goodies and they started eating the food outside the camp And They said, we better go outside and tell the, the people who are starving in the city about what God has done out here. If we don't go and tell them, we will be dead meat. You can't sit there once you have been saved from such a terrible thing and when you are owned by somebody else and do nothing that's a servant who refuses to do what his master requires him to do you are not your own turn to your neighbor and say you're owned so you can't do nothing let me hear it again you are owned so you can't do nothing That's seriously scary stuff. Because it opens a whole lot of things like that, what should I be doing? What's the will of God for my life? Serious questions that I've not even probably to think about. You know, I think, what does God want me to do today? What does he want me to do tomorrow? Where does God lead me? What does he want in my life? Big questions. I talked to one man this week and I said, well, what's the will of God for That's the golden question, he says. What's the will of God and what... And I said, well, to think and be godly. That would be the center of God's will. Have a different view of life. Have a different view of your life that you're owned by someone else. That your life is not your own. That your career, your university degree is not what you're doing. It's what God wants you to do. And what do you understand that to be? It's a bit scary. First Corinthians chapter three verse 12 says, "If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light." So my, So what, is, what he's saying there is, "Whatever you're doing is working." It's one of these things, so it's either gold or silver or costly stones, or it's wood, hay and stubble. It's whatever you're doing. So if you say, oh, look, I'm being a a reasonably decent sort of a bloke, I'm not doing anything really bad, I'm not doing anything really bright, but I'm not doing anything really bad, you know. I'm just coasting sort of middle ground. You're admitting to me that you're building on it, but you're not really doing gold or silver or precious stones, you're just doing some wood, hay and stubble. This is essentially what you're saying. I don't think you want to really say that about your own life, but if you think about it, sometimes I think about it. Sometimes I think about it. And I think, how, what did I do the last year that was significant for God? Sometimes I get really depressed about that. I think, you know, how old am I now? 58. Phew. What's, what, is, what have you got that marked your life out for, for Jesus that, that people can. And that? Of course, I get deceived. I look at my life and I think, okay, I'm not like the man down the road who I know very well, and he's got a church of over a thousand. Well, I, I don't have a thousand people behind me. Oh, no, I know. Am I trying to do that? No, I'm not trying to do that. But the question is, what have I done with my time? And what am I doing with my time? And how am I approaching my time? And what do I think about my time? Is the fact that I think it's my time the problem? could be. Because if I ask the Lord of my time, what I should do with my time, it might be somewhat different. We can go into a lot of things, you know, because there's are lots of time wasters. Boy, there are a lot of time wasters. there are heaps and heaps of time wasters there are loads of time wasters the question is are you asking the question if you're not even asking the question you're building but you don't even know what you're doing you're starting to lay stuff on a foundation the foundation is jesus and he said oh he's he's done something beautiful it's gold it's gold what what jesus did And then you're laying and you're just putting straw down there, straw down there. For your gold, Jesus, I'm just putting straw down, straw down. Well, there's a fire coming, folks. You might get there, but you're going to lose something on the way. The day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Scary stuff. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward if... It is burned up, the the builder will suffer loss, yet he will be saved. And that's the grace of God. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by doing good works. You're saved by his good works. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. You You want to be very thankful about that because if he looked at the account and said, if I should give you salvation on the premise of whether you work, none of us would get there because we're not working hard enough. If you compare what he did and what we do, we're not laying it down like he laid it down. It should be reciprocal. I would have thought if I give 100% to you, you ought to give 100% to me. If you want to call me friend, if you want to be my friend, you give some and I'll give some. It'll be, you know, we'll both give some. Jesus says, You want to be my friend? Mark, I want to be your friend. Lay it all down. You can't be your disciple unless you take up your cross and follow me. Oh, come on now, Jesus, you want me to lay there and get them to stab me on the cross and get me to bleed out? That's what I want you to do. Come on, will you do it for me? Jesus says, will you do it for me? Equal, you know, equal, equal. It costs me. Will you you lay it all down? Will you count the cost, Mark? That's a rude one. That's a rude one because it actually imposes itself on my life. It imposes itself on my spare time. Well, it doesn't impose itself on your spare time. And that's the problem. If you think you are just giving God your spare time, that is the problem. He's no more than a dog that you pack on the weekends. Come to church and you pat his head. I'm doing you a favor, Fido. I'm coming to see God on the weekends. Pat him on the head and he thinks he's happy about that. And you go away and you live the rest of your day for yourself. And God's the dog that you pat on the weekend when you come to church because you don't take him with you If you really want to take that analogy, you are blind and you need a guide dog. That dog better be with you the whole time because you can't get around without him. Turn to your neighbor and say, You don't own yourself. And you will give an account. Now, this is I'm going to close now. I'm going to reflect on one of the hardest parables in the Bible. I'm not going to preach through it, <coughs> but I'm going to reflect on it. And I want you to reflect on it. It's one of the most puzzling parables. And Jesus uh, tells his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Okay, the rich man is Jesus or God. And the manager is, turn to your neighbor and say, hello, manager. Hello, manager. That's you. All right. This is the story. He's accused of wasting the rich man's possessions. So everything that we get is a possession that belongs to God and we have to give an account for how we use it. Either we waste it or are careful with it. That's the, that's the idea. That's the, that's the line, you know. He says, so he called him and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account Of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So, there's obviously serious stuff here. You know, we've got a a serious problem in our management. If the manager comes to us, uh, the owner comes to us and says, You can't continue here, give us an account for what you're doing. So, the manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, this is where it becomes kind of confusing and sticky. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He says, 900 gallons of olive oil. That's about, I don't know, a lot of olive oil. And he replied to the master, he said, take the bill and you sit down, and I think it's around about 6000 liters or something he says write down three thousand liters so he said cut it in half then he asked the second and how much do you owe and he says a thousand bushels of wheat that's a lot of wheat he says he told him we'll take the bill and and make it 800 bushels so he's cut the bill down so what has he done he says you know what he says i'm going to make sure that after he, I get sacked, I've got friends that I can go to. That's pretty smart. You might, oh, you might think it's pretty wicked, but it, it's still pretty smart. You know, if I don't keep my job here, at least when you kick me, I'm going to have friends over here because I made it advantageous for them and I'll have somewhere to stay for the first night at least. And then we have this little twist in this parable, which is kind of interesting because I like a twist in a parable because it makes you think. How many people like thinking? Well, not a lot of people think these days. Did you know that when you watch TV and you watch video games, your frontal lobe shrinks? Did you know that? Yeah, it does. They have a... In, in, where is it, honey? We are, it was... South Korea. They've got, the, uh, they've got a... Um, a place—it's a—it's a rehab center for Korean kids that are addicted to digital games, and all of them have got a shrunk frontal lobe. That part of their brain, the front the part of the thinks, it's shrunk. It's going, <gasps> That means that when you actually do this, you know Grandma used to say, "Don't watch the TV; your brains will rot." She was telling you the truth. Don't watch too much TV. Don't play too many games because your brains will rot. The frontal lobe will shrinks. That's the part that you think and reason with. That's the part that you think about how you're going to do things. You're critically thinking about stuff. If it's shrinking, that means it's not being used. Other parts are getting bigger, but that front part's not being used. When you say read the Word of God and study the Word of God and write down your ideas and hand them in or you keep on going with us, you'll read the WordWise program, we are actually trying to expand your frontal lobe. Say thank you. Oh, you don't get it, do you? Turn to the neighbor and said, they're trying to make my, make my brain bigger. That's exactly right. The idea behind making your brain bigger is that you will start to think more about God's word. And everybody said, let me think more. So here's a parable to make you think. The master commended the dishonest. Jesus commending the dishonest? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now listen to what he says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Now let me this from the The people of darkness are more in tune with being dark than the people of light of light are in tune to being light. If question. If you if you paid as much time in reading your word, young lady, as you did in doing your hair and putting up your makeup before you went out, you might be somewhat different than you are today. Young man, if you spent as much time applying yourself to studying the word of God and its application in your life and what God wants you to do, as you did in mastering every level of that silly game that you're playing or becoming a sports fanatic. You might do something for Jesus. Friends, the people in the darkness are more switched on at being dark than you are about being light. That's the problem because you don't understand that you're owned. Tap the person beside you you're owned you don't belong to yourself and there's a and there's a day coming when you're going to have to give an account before god you see i tell you use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you'll be welcomed into the eternal dwellings and they they don't know what he's actually saying there they don't know whether he's being sarcastic Apply yourself for what you're going to do because in the end of the exercise, after you applied yourself to it, it'll open a door for you. You keep on doing what you're going to do and you're going to get, get to heaven and say, look what I can do with this thing. It'll open a door for you. But if you're down on your face and you're asking Jesus to guide you and lead you and show me what the Word of God says, make it applicable. Oh, help me to die to this thing. Oh, Lord Jesus, lead me on to a holy life. Lead me on to an active life. Lead me on to what you want to do. I want to tell you something. It will open a door for you. The doors open when you apply yourself, either to disaster or to hope in life. The world knows that more than anything. You can't even, in some careers, you cannot even stay in the career unless you commit to doing X number of OPDs every year to do ongoing professional development to keep up with the speed. You can't even stay there unless you say, I'm going to do that, spend hundreds of dollars and trying to get yourself keep yourself in front of everything. Well, imagine that if I said to you, you can't, you can't stay in this church unless you do at least six months of OPDs every year to keep in front of the whole thing. Get your worldview together, get it all sorted out in your mind so that you can be a wonderful man of God and a preacher of the Word of God. To stay in this church, you have to at least do three or four weeks of ongoing professional Christian development. Ah, You laugh at me. And that's the reason Jesus said this. They know that that's what keeps them going for the dollar. You don't understand that that's what should be happening in our lives for God. An ongoing desire. Oh God, use me. Oh God, extend me. Oh God, change me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, lead me. Oh God, bring your glory forth in me. You don't understand that. It it takes this long life commitment. What's the cost this week? It might be a couple of hours reading the word and getting on your knees and praying and repenting about stuff. It might be putting away something. What's it worth to you? What are you building on? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little also will be dishonest with much. So if you have been not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And he says, and if you've not been trusted with somebody else's property, and who, are you, who do you belong to? Someone else. You belong to someone else. If you have not been trusted with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? Exactly. 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 No one can serve two masters, either will he be hated the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, be careful how you build. You're all building. There's not one of you here that is not. The question really is, what are you laying down on that foundation? You know, I don't want you to get a big head and say, well, I'm going to go for gold and I want to get those riches when I get in heaven, that full welcome when I get there. The holiness of God is enough to burn that out of you. You know, you can lay it all down for Jesus and you can do all the stuff for Jesus and you can do it all with a loving motive and you can, and you can put down pure gold onto the foundation. When you get to glory, if you've done that, and he puts a crown upon your head, Luke, you will take that crown off and you will throw it at his feet and you'll say all oh, to Jesus. Without Jesus, I couldn't have done anything because you will have learned something about it all. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. And anything you ever did was prompted by the Spirit of God who lived within you. So even the crown that you wear, you really don't deserve because it's all Jesus. Just think that just think that no room for pride i'm not putting a notch in my belt to say i've got so many souls under my belt and oh another one thank you jesus that's just crazy in the end of the you can't do that just every day think about what am i doing for god what am i doing for god well i don't know what to say well i can pray i can pray for people who should i pray for jesus and then, when I speak, what are the words you want me to say? I, I just feel I shouldn't say that. So you cut your mouth and you stop your mouth if you're going to say the wrong thing and you open your mouth to say the right thing. And you, every word is building something down, laying something down, laying something down, laying something down, everyone. So friends, you don't own you. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits. He can tell you what to say. He can tell you what to think because he owns you. He can direct you any way he wants you to go. You better be listening. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you to help us to internalize this truth into our lives in such a way that we are governed by it on a daily basis. We're not interested in learning another idea that is just put into a religious box that we carry with us. Oh yeah, I got that one. You know, I heard that one. We want something that changes our lives, robustly changes us from what we are today to what you want us to be tomorrow, Lord Jesus. We ask you to move un- into our lives in such a way that we are conscious continuously that we do not own ourselves, but we have been bought with the price. And Lord, why judgment day will be scary for us all, Lord, help us in every decision that we make, in every word that we say, in every step that we take. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to lay gold, silver, and precious stones down. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.